Anyway, let's go uh, to God's word together. And while you find John 13, I'll tell you that uh, Joey has helped me immensely by telling me to use my Pages app on my phone and dictate this in and then export it as a Word document and email it to myself. So I've been able to do that. Uh, it's a lot faster than typing with one finger on your left hand. Uh, but it's a l you, you think it would be faster than typing it in? Man, it is painstaking uh, how, how, uh, how uh, talking it in uh, is. It, I, I'm doing the whole thing on my phone. Boop, boop. Eep, boop, backspace and fixing all the little things and uh, it's it's a uh, it's quite a thing and you know the other funny thing just before I read this it's amazing how um, non-christian uh, the voice entry thing is like when you say worship it will spell everything in the whole world except worship and God is always in lowercase and I mean all these redemptive things that we normally say it's not even in the in the vocabulary of uh, of voice recognition. It's 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 uh, it, it's an insight into how far removed the world is from from uh, gospel things. Anyway, just a, an interesting side note. Um, so, let's continue our study in the Gospel of John, <coughs> chapter thirteen, starting in verse one. Now, before the feast of the Passover, when Jesus knew that his hour had come to depart out of this world to the Father, having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. During supper, when the devil had already put it into the heart of Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, to betray him, Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands and that he had come from God and was going back to God, rose from supper. He laid aside his outer garments and, taking a towel, tied it round his waist. Then he poured water into a basin and began to wash the disciples' feet and to wipe them with the towel that was wrapped round him. He came to Simon Peter, who said to him, Lord, do you wash my feet? Jesus answered him, What I am doing you do not understand now, but afterward you will understand. Peter said to him, you shall never wash my feet. Jesus answered him, if I do not wash you, you have no share with me. Simon Peter said to him, Lord, not my feet only, but also my hands and my head. Jesus said to him, the one who has bathed does not need to wash except for his feet, but is completely clean, and you are clean, but not every one of you. For he knew who was to betray him. That was why he said, not all of you are clean. Let's pray one more time. Father, may the truth be spoken and received here today. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, this is a uh, familiar passage to uh, a lot of Christians. Um, uh, even if uh, you're not uh, intimately familiar with it, you probably heard of it, Jesus washing uh, the disciples' feet. Uh, even so, it's a mysterious passage, isn't it? Um, it, it has a very uh, foreign, uh, other culturally feeling to it, doesn't it? Washing feet, it's a very strange uh, thing to consider. It's almost kind of like this uh, faraway thing that's kind of weird and kind of charming and, and humble. And, and, and we've heard the story, but we really don't know uh, how to interpret the significance of it. Uh, I bet no person in here has uh, ever washed another adult's feet. Has anyone done that before? Maybe a few of y'all. Um, 
uh, who's not your spouse? Okay. Uh, see, that's the, those are the only feet that I would like to touch. Uh, those are the only feet that I would like to touch and what I would enjoy touching. All other feet are repulsive and disgusting. Uh, and uh, you don't want to touch them. I mean, it's just uh, they're the part that touches the ground. And uh, I don't know if you've seen Beto O'Rourke standing on the kitchen counters. You know about all that? Uh, he's been going, <laughs> Beto O'Rourke, uh, the, uh, the uh, Texas guy who's running for president, has been going <laughs> around all these restaurants. And, and he's already super tall, and he stands up on the counter, uh, and everybody's surrounding him. And the restaurants are like, ah, ah, get your feet off the counter, because that's where we put the food. You know, they're not liking his, uh, his manner. Anyway, feet are kind of gross. Um, but if you remember, uh, a couple weeks ago when we, were, we, we focused on only verse 1, we just focused our time on that, and that really set us a context. Um, and, and verse 1 stands in its own profundity, but it gives us a context into what Jesus is doing uh, here and in the coming uh, chapters. First of all, we see that it is uh, Passover. The timing is Passover. And by the way, some of your translations, I, I'm not sure if it's the King James or not, but some translations... Um, here's what the ESV says. Now, before the feast of the Passover, that's a good rendering from the best manuscripts. Uh, some say that the Passover had already happened, and that's, that's a bad rendering from not, not the best manuscripts, not a great translation. So the idea is before the feast of the Passover, Passover's coming up. The whole idea is that Jesus is being killed as a sacrificial lamb at Passover. I mean, that's the whole point. Passover's not over. Uh, Passover's coming up. Jesus is a sacrificial lamb. All the, all the cosmic timing of God is involved here. All right, so we saw that it's Passover. We also saw that Jesus had a um, complete sense of self. He knew that he was on a mission. He knew that he was sent by God. It was not some series of unfortunate events that uh, Jesus got caught up in and the, and the rabble got a hold of him and, oh, it just finally uh, spun out of control and it was all very sad. It's not that. Jesus is in charge of what's going on. His hour had come because God had brought his hour uh, about. Uh, we also were told of Jesus' love for his own, uh, that he was about to show them his love, and that will include the discourse over the next five chapters, 13 through 13, 14, 15, 16, 17, five chapters. Uh, Jesus is with the disciples. He's dedicated to them. This is the last night of his life. And from there, he goes out. In chapter 18, he goes into the Kidron Valley. Uh, he goes to the Garden of Gethsemane. He's going to be arrested and taken away. And so he's John, the gospel writer, is dedicating this giant chunk of Jesus' intimate relations with his disciples here. Uh, very deep, very profound. All of that should change the way we think of this odd scene of foot washing. I think we tend to think of it kind of in this weird kind of isolated thing. Oh, Jesus did this, this, this. He washed some feet, and, you know, that was humble and, and, uh, and, and move on. It's in, a, it's in a much greater context. It is in the very shadow of the cross that he does this. So, so very specific things happen. It is um, a human act. It's an earthly deed. He's washing the feet of real people. Uh, and yet there's this, um, this cosmic significance. It, it, if, even after 2,000 years, uh, it, it, it rings, and it, it continues to ring into eternity. Uh, so in short, uh, this matters to your life. <laughs> it matters to your life um, dramatically, and it matters to your life immediately. All right? Here's our giant point of the whole thing. Cleansing is by Christ or not at all. 
So if you walk out of here and somebody asks you what uh, went on at Sunday school this morning, say that. Cleansing is by Christ or not at all. What's this passage about? It's about that. All right. So let's go to our first point together. Um, the uh, one of three. Uh, the first point is the strange servant king. Now, I've already pointed out that Jesus knew certain things. You know, he's it's Passover. He knows he's got a sense of self. He knows he's about to depart out of this world and uh, return to the father and so on. Um, uh, and by the way, when it says um, his hour had come to depart out of the world, that is synonymous with uh, his, the death of his humanity. Uh, that's exactly what that means. All right. But he also knows some other very specific things. Okay. Uh, look at verse uh, 2. During supper, um, when the devil had already put it into the heart of Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, to betray him. Right? So Jesus already knows that Judas is going to betray him. It's not like Judas betrays him and Jesus is shocked and can't believe that uh, his buddy let him down like that and has this sense of betrayal. Jesus already knows that Judas is about to betray him. Um, he was not out of control, but in control. Very important to remember throughout this whole thing. Um, and a quick little side application. You remember Joseph, the story of Joseph um, uh, in uh, Genesis chapters 37 through 50, the, the last hunk. You know, Genesis is really three hunks. The last hunk of Genesis about the story of Joseph. And uh, toward the end of it, um, uh, almost at the end, chapter 50, uh, Joseph is speaking to his brothers, and his brothers have come. You know, Joseph's been in, uh, he's, he was sold into, sold into slavery. He's working for Pharaoh, uh, and through God's providence, he rises through the ranks, ranks, and he gets put in charge of stuff, the food supply. Uh, he ends up being uh, reunited with his brothers, and his brothers are afraid of him. They're afraid because now the brother that they sold into slavery has power, power over them, and uh, could kill them if they wanted to. And so his brothers are afraid of, his, of Joseph's judgment against them, and Joseph says this. As for you, bros, who sold me into slavery all those years ago, as for you, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good, to bring it about that many people should be kept alive as they are today. And indeed, the Israelite people are kept alive and are able to move out in an exodus, and uh, through that lineage comes our Savior. That's God using it for good, like super good, like uh, redemptive good. Um, and so, did Joseph's brothers mean evil? Yes. Did Joseph's brothers carry out evil acts? Yes, of course they did. Um, was Joseph sold into slavery against his will? Yes. How about this? Is slavery the owning of another human being? Does that go against what it is to be a human being created in God's image, allowed to make choices? Yes, all that evil, and yet God meant it for good. And so a quick application for your life is this. Um, there is a God behind the scenes, and there is a God behind what is seen. There's always, there's always God's working, uh, rumbling. You, you remember that, ladies and gentlemen, when you, when you feel like God is slow in keeping his promises, uh, when, you when you wonder where he is and uh, why this is being allowed to happen and, and you look at things that go wrong not only in your life but in the world and in, in the nation and uh, you see sin and it's, it's uh, um, sp spread, you, you wonder why and how and how it can possibly work out. Just remember, 
There is a God behind the scenes, and there is a God behind what is seen. Here's a promise. And we know, this is Romans 8.28, and we know that God works all things together for good for those who love him, who are the called according to his purpose. Um, I, I actually <laughs> had this in my head, and I prayed it, I think, at the either at the beginning rehearsal or before the service. I can't remember when I prayed it, but... Uh, I said, God can and does uh, take even your most terrible choices and work the universe around them. <laughs> Is that not a thought? Uh, you make good decisions, you make bad decisions. You make righteous decisions, you make unrighteous decisions. You make wise decisions, you make less wise decisions. You make more, more wise decisions. Um, you know, timing changes. Things are, are, are in, inflicted into your life uh, that you didn't expect. Uh, important into your life that you didn't expect. And God is the whole time working the universe around those things to accomplish his purposes. It's amazing. Every little thing that's happening, God is constantly governing and changing and working because he's got all the power and all the knowledge. He's able to do those things. He's uh, able to work uh, all things together uh, for uh, his, your good and for his glory. Here's some more things that Jesus uh, absolutely knows. Um, so Jesus knows that Judas is going to betray him. It goes on at the, uh, halfway through verse 3. And that he had come from God and was going back to God. So um, Jehovah's Witnesses or um, Mormons or people who are scratching their heads going, oh, well, was Jesus just a man who was elevated to a new position? Uh, did Jesus really, uh, was he really divine? Uh, did, he, did he really think that he was the son of God? yes. I mean, if you, if you walk away from, with anything from the Gospel of John, you see that Jesus is not only divine. The Bible not only claims that Jesus is divine, but the entire time Jesus knows he is divine. He knows he is the God-man. He knows he has come from God and that he's going back to God uh, to fellowship with the Father again for all eternity. Uh, what else do we know? Uh, verse 3, it says uh, that uh, he was going back to God. Um, uh, the beginning of verse 3, it says that the Father had given all things into his hands. Now, that's very easy to fly past carelessly, that um, God had given all things into Jesus' hands. We go, okay, that's a lovely thought. Okay, Jesus is in charge. Uh, that's really, that's cool. You know, I'm for that. That's, that's sweet. Uh, God gave everything into Jesus' hands. But let's fast forward uh, to the big finish, okay? Uh, flip ahead, if you would, to uh, uh, Ephesians. Um, so you'll find Romans, Corinthians, Galatians, Ephesians, chapter 1. And really, it's, it's, we're going to pick up like kind of mid-sentence. It's a little awkward, but um, it's, uh, Paul is writing, and he, he wants, he wants the, 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 the faith of the saints to grow uh, and to remember who God is and what God has accomplished. But let's pick it up and let's say um, uh, 19. Let's say 19. He says, Paul wants us to, to know the riches of our glorious inheritance, okay, in verse 19. And what is the immeasurable greatness of his power toward us who believe? According to the working of his great might, God the Father, Yahweh, according to the working of his great might, that he worked in Christ when he raised Jesus from the dead, now listen, and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places far above all rule and authority and power and dominion and above every name that is named, not only in this age, 
but also in the one to come. And he put all things under Jesus' feet and gave him as head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. I mean, that's the big finish. I mean, so when we see that God had given all things into Jesus' hands, it's not some throwaway line or some lovely little thought or uh, it's, just so, it's just so wonderful to see Jesus being acknowledged that way. It, is, it comes to a, a, a dynamic and forever conclusion, which is why Jesus kept saying, he kept calling himself son of man. Over and over and over again, he calls himself son of man, son of man, son of man. His favorite self-designation. He's taking it from Daniel. I've read this to you like 10 times. Daniel 7, 14. To the son of man person. All right? In Daniel 7, 14. He's in the presence of God the Father. And it says, to the son of man person was given dominion and glory in the kingdom that all peoples, nations, and languages should serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion what shall not pass away, which shall not pass away, and his kingdom, one that shall not be destroyed. You know, there's a song we sing not that often. Uh, it's 10,000 times 10,000. 10,000 times 10,000 in sparkling raiment bright. It's talking talk about heaven. The armies of the ransomed saints throng up the steeps of light. All right? So it's talking about heaven. Uh, talking about all the Christians coming into the glorious presence of God together, finally and forever. Uh, I love this lines too. Tis finished, all is finished. Their fight with death and sin. Won't that be great when that's finished? All right. But the point is this. In that song, there's one line that I just love so much. Uh, it is this. O day for which creation and all its tribes were made. The world was made through Jesus and for Jesus <laughs> that the church might be caught up in everlasting worship. All of it belongs to Jesus. The Father had given all of it into his hands. No small little throwaway uh, thought. Hang on a second. I've got to get back to my passage here. Hold on, my bookmark is uh, difficult here. Um, all right, Jesus also had a sense, and the, God, uh, the gospel writer is very important, that he's divine. Um, he uh, knew his atoning work on the cross was completed. He knew when that happened, he would return to the presence of Yahweh. So now take all of that knowledge about what Jesus knew about himself, about Jesus knew what was going on, and apply it to what he's doing. It says in verse 4, he rose from supper. He laid aside his outer garments. Now, that means he took off his stuff. He's basically bare-chested, bare-legged. He ties a towel around himself, and he takes a basin of water. He pours water in it. He begins to wash the disciples' feet um, and to wipe the feet with the towel that was wrapped around him. Now, that's, that's a picture that's odd, isn't it? You don't, people don't normally paint those kinds of pictures, and you don't normally think of a bare-chested, bare-legged barefooted Jesus who is stooping and washing and drying the feet of the disciples. I mean, it's profoundly uh, servant-like. It's hard for us to grasp that act because we have shoes, uh, and we take showers every day. We have running water. We have Lexus SUVs. Um, we have uh, energy-efficient doors and windows. We have Purell. 
We have doors and windows on our houses. We have climate control. We also have multiple changes of clothing. They didn't have multiple changes of clothing. Uh, they generally had one change of clothing, and they were wearing it. All right? It was a funky existence, y'all. And by the way, Jesus and his disciples are living a nomadic existence. He is an itinerant preacher. He's moving. He's traveling. They're nomads in a very real sense. Um, he and his disciples uh, were homeless. And so feet uh, were in need of washing indeed. You know, I, I, I scour the Internet looking for those feet. See the chip toenail and the kind of gnarly, nubby, dirty. I mean, uh, it, it's not just, oh, what a lovely act we're reenacting here at the church up on the stage, which, by the way, I've got to be careful how I say this, but, um, you, you know, Jesus says of the bread that is broken, do this in remembrance of me. And of the wine that, or grape juice or whatever is poured out, do this in remembrance of me. He's giving us sacraments, right? He's giving us things to do and remember and experience his presence with, right? Now, he'll go on. You'll see next week. He'll say, he'll say do this about this, this act. He's, but he's not saying uh, also uh, bread, wine, foot washing. He's not saying bread, wine, foot washing. And I, am, I, I don't think that it is, I don't think it's wrong for churches to do that. But I, I'm not sure that it's helpful for churches to do that. To, to like, for instance, on a Maundy Thursday service. Now, and listen, our, our church may do it one day. And if our church does it, I'm going to say, aye, aye, captain, and everything's fine. Um, I, I, I'm not going to complain or moan or, or undercut it. But I, I think it's confusing to the sacraments if uh, you have the broken, you have the bread, and you have the cup, and then there's foot washing up there. It's not a sacrament. It's not a sacrament. When Jesus says, go do, you'll see next week. Please come back. You'll see next week. If it were reduced to only foot washing, go do, oh, we would like it. It's a zillion times more than just that. Okay, we would like to reduce it to just that. I think it's a mistake when churches do that. Anyway, that's just a personal opinion. Anyway, uh, back to this. It was the job of a host to provide a servant for foot washing. All right, and they ate differently than we did too. You know, they, they, if you've ever been to like Sekasui or where you sit on the floor or Bluefin downtown where the table's this far off the ground, they sat on the ground and they ate and they would kind of lean on one shoulder and eat and they would kind of lean on each other and eat. It was very social and personal. Um, and so feet are near e everybody. You know, they're kind of near each other. And so washing feet was just a normal part of, um, of, um, of life and uh, if you were the host you would always have a servant there who would do foot washing and of course Jesus is doing this thing it's absolutely customary and so imagine the disciples astonishment when Jesus himself assumes the role of the lowliest of servants it was more than a selfless act it was countercultural. it was upside down um, and uh, if you want to flip real quick go left to the gospel of Mark uh, Mark chapter 10 um, starting in verse 35, Mark, Mark 10, verse 35. <laughs> uh, G James and John, the sons of Zebedee, okay, they're disciples. They come to Jesus and they say, Teacher, we want you to do for us whatever we ask of you. <laughs> and uh, Jesus says to them, Mark 10, 36, he says, he says, What do you want me to do for you? And they said to him, Grant us to sit, one at your right hand, one at your left, in your glory. And Jesus said to them, You don't know what you're asking. Are you able to drink the cup that I drink or to be baptized with the baptism with which I am baptized? And they said to him, we are able. 
Everybody criticizes Peter for being, uh, for being a goofball. Listen to these guys. Look at verse 42. Jesus called them to him and said to them, you know that those who are considered rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them, and their great ones exercise authority over them. But it shall not be so among you. But whoever would be great among you must be your servant. And whoever would be first among you must be slave of all. For even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. You know, guys, I love America. I love it. I love our country. I love our freedom. I love that I can think what I want to think and worship who I want to worship and that I can accomplish what I want to accomplish. I love that there are opportunities in front of me. I love competition. I think competition makes things improve. I think it makes people invent things. I think it makes customer service uh, better. Uh, I believe that freedom is worth dying for, and I'm grateful for all the people who died for freedom so that I could be free. I'm grateful for all those things. But to live, to amass possessions, to live, to increase the value of your name, esteemed by the culture, to live for those things, to live just to do whatever you want all the time. So, you know, it's like celebrities. You know, all they have are people around them saying yes, 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 yes. That's why they blow up. Uh, everybody's saying yes around them all the time. To live with those goals is, is not just anti-gospel, it's anti-design. The Savior came not to be served, but to serve. He came to give his life as a ransom for many. And that changes everything about your life if you're one of the redeemed. You see that it's got immediate consequence for you. Uh, no job is too low, and no soul is less important than your soul. There's no, there's no one too lowly to talk to. Um, you know, Cain asked of God uh, back in Genesis, am I my brother's keeper? And the answer is yes, you are your brother's keeper. All right, uh, next point. The necessity, excuse me, the necessity of cleansing. Look at verse 6. Uh, he came to Simon Peter. Jesus comes to Simon Peter who said to him, Lord, do you wash my feet? Now, if you were to do a word study on this and you, you just delved into this a little further, you would quickly find out that um, the, the way the sentence is structured, it loses a little something in the English. You know, Lord, do you wash my feet? Um, if, you, if you look at it in, in the Greek and you look at it in, a, in, the, in the kind of the, choppy, the, the choppy, rend, a choppy rendering of the original, it would say something like this, Lord, dust thou my feet wash. Dust thou my feet wash. You see the you and the me are smushed together like that. That is, the, that is John the writer doing it on purpose for impact. Uh, Peter's astonishment is being expressed here. Uh, you, me, you, me, my feet, it, it emphasizes Peter's astonishment. We, re we reminded, uh, I reminded you last week that um, 
They don't understand now, but they'll understand later. The Holy Spirit is going to bring to mind what's happening here. And so, other, so many other things that, that uh, um, Jesus uh, uh, had done in his, his earthly ministry. But Peter says, y- y- you, you wash my feet. And Peter says to Jesus, um, you shall never wash my feet. And notice the deep irony. On the one hand, speak, Peter speaks in deep reverence of Jesus. No, 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 no. You, you shall never wash my feet because you're Jesus. At the same time, he transgresses. And he takes Jesus to class. No, 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 you're not going to wash my feet. And he tells him what he can and can't do. I mean, there's deep irony there. And Jesus thus answers, If I do not wash you, you have no share with me. Um, now, that has been puzzled over uh, by people um, over, over time. Um, some people think that Jesus is being snooty with Peter, and I hate when people do that to the passage, like Jesus is scowling at Peter going, oh, come on, Peter, get your act together. Why can't you understand? He's not doing that. Um, he's not being harsh. He's not being irritable over the coming cross. Uh, rather, it is the gospel distilled. Peter doesn't truly understand But what Jesus is saying is a distillation of the gospel. If I do not wash you, you have no share with me. That's the gospel message. It's a physical thing that's happening. It's a living parable, all right? But it's expressing a spiritual reality. If I don't wash you, says Jesus, there ain't no washing for you. And Peter still doesn't understand, but but then then says, Lord, in verse 9, not my feet, but... Also, um, uh, my hands and my head. Not my my feet only, but my hands and my head. Application is this, ladies and gentlemen. If Jesus doesn't wash you, there's no cleansing. There's no other system. There's no other religion. There's no other brand of sincerity. There's no steps that you can follow. There's no other path up the mountain. Uh, It's not that just... This sincere system and this sincere system and this sincere system and this one eventually gets you to the same place. No. Jesus is saying, unless I wash you, you cannot be cleansed. That's the exclusive claim of the gospel. And what it is to come to this Jesus Christ as Savior is to realize that he died on the cross in the place of sinners. Instead of you being killed because you're a sinner because the wages of sin is death. Instead of you, it was him. And the reason it works is because he lived a perfect human life. You didn't. No one else did. None of us did. We were all born in sin. The reason it works is Jesus never sinned. And then he died in a sinner's place. And the, the, the gift is we receive that, we get his righteousness. We receive that, and the judge says not guilty. That is the gospel message. That's why Jesus died on the cross. All right. Our last point, home stretch, um, very close but very far. Uh, verse ten, uh, Jesus said to him, "The one who is bathed does not need to wash except for his feet, but is completely clean." Now, there's no need to overthink that or over spiritualize it. People look at that and they go, ah, "That's the one worst, the verse that looks uh, confusing to me." What? What in the world? The one who is bathed does not need to wash except for his feet. He's completely clean. Um, there's there's no need to overthink that. And by the way. Many a commentator has over-spiritualized this whole foot-washing thing. They'll be like, well, Jesus went down, and then when he was done, he got up. He rose up. And I'm like, come on, dude, really? And I'm talking about sane, scholarly, 
people who over-spiritualize this and kind of allegorize this. And you know, he, he rose up like he rose out of the grave. It's like, come on, please, use your head. Um, don't, you don't have to overthink this. But what Jesus is actually doing here is very simply saying, don't miss the point, bro. Um, uh, if I cleanse you, you are cleansed. All right, if I say I've washed your feet and you're, and you're clean and I've cleaned you, you're clean, you don't need to overthink it. You don't need to think that there's more to go do. If I do it, it's done. That's what Jesus is saying here. And one, one writer said this. I thought this was an awesome uh, rendering. He said, you are sharers in the redemption which my humiliation merits for you. I think that's a pretty cool, uh, cool take on it. All right, here's where the story takes the dark turn. Um, you are clean in the end of verse 10, but not every one of you. And in case there's any confusion, the gospel writer makes sure that we understand it. Verse 11, for Jesus knew who was to betray him. That was why he said, not all of you are clean. I'll close with two applications. Number one, <laughs> when Jesus um, started removing his garments, um, and engaging in one of the lowliest activities of his cultural day. I mean, it was like the lowest of the low. It was like, you know, if, you were, if it was 1867 um, and you were the, the barmaid that poured out the full spittoons, okay, that was probably the lowest job of the day. But the lowest job of that day is the foot washer. And Jesus assumes the lowest job of the day and uh, the, the one of the lowliest activities, and I wonder what the disciples were thinking and feeling. All of a sudden, Jesus is disrobing, and all of a sudden, Jesus takes the basin, and all of a sudden, Jesus goes to the first one and starts washing their feet, and he's going around. There's, tw there's, a, there's 12 of them. He's going around the room and washing and drying. I don't know how long that took, 20 minutes maybe? But they're watching, and they're going around the room. Now, on the one hand, if I were a disciple, I'd be thinking, Wow, um, that, that's, that's amazing. Uh, I, I, what, what ought to be happening is I ought to be doing that to Jesus instead of him doing it to me. Wouldn't you be thinking that probably? You see Jesus doing it by, the, by number four or five or six or nine. You're going, oh, I should be washing his feet. He should be washing my feet. But here's the kicker, and we're going to explore this a lot more next week. It's one thing to want to wash the Savior's feet, but the real revulsion comes with these other jokers. Yeah, I wash the Savior's feet, but Peter, those knobby, hairy toes, look, I mean, I, the Savior's one thing, but serving these other idiots, that's hard. That's what Jesus calls us to. Um, you know, uh, look at verse 34. It's just this, um, a new commandment I give you, give to you, that you love one another. Just as I have loved you, you are also to love one another. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. That's not a sweetie pie thought. That's a foot washing thought. That's doing the hard stuff to the people that Jesus is concerned about. Uh, people all, will always go, oh, I just want to serve Jesus. I just want to serve Jesus. Oh, I just want to serve Jesus. Well, what do you, how do you do that? What do you mean? Sing? 
Okay, that's good. You know, I'm a worship leader. I think you should sing. I just want to serve Jesus. What do you want to read the Bible? I think you should read the Bible. I'm a Bible teacher. I think you should read the Bible. I want to pray. I think you should pray. All right, aside from those things, the given, what does it mean to serve Jesus? How do you do it? You take off your outer garments and you bend down and you wash feet. And that, that's, that's inconvenient and icky. I want to serve Jesus. That's how you do it. Not, not, the, not the candy coating. That's how you do it. Last application is this. Um, Jesus, I, I was pondering this a good bit. Jesus eventually gets to Judas. Now think about that. He knows Judas is going to betray him. He bends down, and now he's washing the feet of Judas, this one who's against him, this one who is an opponent of God, this one uh, over whom the devil has control. And we go, gosh, what was that like for Jesus? You know what it was like? Saving you. That's what it was like. We go, how could Jesus do that? Well, Romans 5, 8. God showed his love for us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. You want to love and serve and follow this Jesus? Go die. Go die for others. Lord Christ, we are amazed that you would have not only been willing to die for us, but would have found it to be a joy to do it. Heavenly Father, that you would have taken pleasure to crush your son is such a profound mystery. We, we, don't, even, we, we don't even know how to navigate the hush that is in our souls. But we praise you, and we thank you for the great mystery of grace. It uh, befuddles for an eternity, and... Um, we're a thankful people now because of it, and we come and ask for your help in uh, becoming more like our Savior who sends, and we pray it in his name. Amen. Thanks, everybody. Come back next week. Hey, thank you so much.